It's time for another episode of The Father's Truth. The show where real men band together, stand up for father's rights, and bring the father's truth out of the darkness. Of the darkness. Out of the darkness and into the light, giving fathers a voice everywhere. A broadcast brought to you by the Fathers Lives Matter Network. Here's your host. Here's your host. Alan Donovan. Alan Donovan. All right, everybody. Good evening. It is time for another episode of The Father's Truth, and I am Alan Donovan. I'm so happy you guys could join me. Let me ask you a question. What would you do if one day you woke up and your kids were taken away from you with no warning or anything like that? That happens a lot. It happens to a lot of dads, and this isn't just something that happens in the United States. It happens around the world. Tonight's episode, I have Farouk Islam on. He is in the UK. He is 41 years old. He's an electrician engineer, a building data center engineer. He's a podcaster, a content creator, an activist. He's a father of three. He created the Disqualified Dads channel as a result of the experience of the family court. Let's get him in here and talk to him and see what his story was. Thank you for stopping by the father's truth. Appreciate it. So we are just waiting for Farouk to come on. Good morning, brother. I know it is super freaking early there for you. It's like two 30 in the morning, man. Yeah, mate. I was trying to keep my eyes open. Oh, I was sick hold on there. one second here, buddy. Well, we got some, uh, hold on. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, yeah. I hear you clearly. Nope, still can't hear you here. Hold on one second here. Bear with me here. I'm working with some new equipment. Take your time. Take your time. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. I can hear you clearly. <laughs> I, I can't no. hear you at all. Let me see what we got going on here. Yeah, I can hear you clearly. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, there we go. I hear you now. Are you hear me? Yeah. Are we are we in the room now, yeah? <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. I've got uh I've got some new podcasting equipment that I'm working with and it's a little little crazy trying to get all the bugs out of it. Mate, getting just getting used to all the tech is a job on its own, trust me. I'm, I'm learning <laughs> on the job, like building it as I go go along. It's a full time job in itself that learning yeah. the stuff. Yes, it is. So thank you for staying up so early. Like I said, I know at the start, it's 2.30 in the morning there. We were originally going to have you on tomorrow night, but my guest tonight, he is in the UK as well. And we I had him, a... Yeah. Riz. I've done a live with him. Yeah, yeah, I know him. I'm on the father's group with him, so I know yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, and and we, we had a miscommunication on time. So there's that whole seven hours difference. So thank you for coming on. So... Let me start out. You sent me your your kind of little video that I usually do for all the guests when they come on. And you had this happen to you pretty much literally overnight. What happened? 
basically March the 16th, 2022, for multiple uh, reasons, various reasons, I had to end the relationship. Mm -hmm. Now, being naive as I was back then, thinking that whatever happens, we, we live in a first world country. We have laws, orders, processes and systems. You have this illusion of um, a democracy, ultimately. So I did that and I'm thinking, whatever happens, I'll have my children on my time when I have access and when I see them, you know, the odd every other weekend or whatever it is, yeah? I have, believe in this delusion because we have laws, orders and processes. We live in a democracy. Then you obviously realize overnight that you have absolutely no rights. Father's rights in England were abolished out of the Children's Act. They've been abolished. A father has effectively no rights. What they say in law is the children have a right to see both parents, but effectively the father is automatically upon end of the relationship, regardless of how it happened, you are disqualified not out of the children's life. Once those false allegations are labeled, you are disqualified out of society as a whole. You are literally thrown out on the junk heap, literally overnight. And then my eyes opened to the reality of this so-called democracy we live in. And overnight, like I said, the family court machine turns us. So what happens is these uh, women in, Eng in England, what they have specifically now is, and what I've learned now over these last uh, few months, basically, there is a whole machine and system set up to work against, unfortunately, fathers. And 90% of fathers, once they enter the system, they have no idea of what is going on. Yeah. Whereas our female counterparts have an in-tune knowledge of the whole system. So what happens is straight away, when they, when they realize that there's trouble in the waters, there's certain relationships going to end and whatnot, there's some issues, they go to the doctors or the, go to the, when they do the school drop-offs around these places of authority, you go in, you put on the little tears and stuff like that. What happens is they have a duty to alert the authorities and they will refer them to certain groups, certain women's aid groups and shelters. So when they go to these groups and shelters, those women's aid, you've got to understand, they're funded by government. They're a charity. And I think in England here, they get two million plus a year from government. But you have to get the numbers through the doors to get that money. Yeah. So once these women walk in, they have to keep them there. So what they then say to these women is they give them the full blueprint of how to take all the necessary steps to secure the children, the finances, completely dismantle the husband or the ex-husband and take full control of the system which is designed to destroy, unfortunately, the non-resident parent, 90%, which happened to be fathers in England. Yeah. So, and they are so advanced. What people don't realize, the women's aid groups are so advanced here. So when a woman walks in, for example, yeah, now it doesn't matter what background, demographic, religion, or culture she's from, yeah, they have a blueprint, blueprint for every demographic. So I'll give you an example, right? So let's say, a white guy walks in, an English white guy, yeah? Let's say he's a football fan. So, the, so what the women's aide will say to him is, right, the perfect blueprint for this is, uh, he watches football on the weekend, he gets drunk, and then he gets abusive. Yeah? Domestic violence. No, but th th understand this, they're advanced. If he's a Muslim guy, do you know what they say? He's very extremist in his views. He looks down on women due to his religion. Because if I'm from an Indian background, so I'm from an Indian background, 
he's, 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 he looks down on women due to his Indian heritage. They have a narrative. If he's a military background, for example, he's a serviceman, the PTSD card, yeah. he's too dangerous around the kids, PTSD. They have to demonstrate three things, threat to life, financial abuse, and the latest law, coercive control. Now, coercive control can mean literally anything. Me and you could disagree right now about the colour of this wall here. Because you disagree with me, that's coercive control. <laughs> now, they can even label coercive control, um, uh, what do you call it, allegations, spanning back a decade. So there's stuff like when he gets to the family court, if you were accused of, say, controlling her 10 years ago because you had an argument and you disagreed with something, now most people with common sense know every couple has an argument at some time or other. It's, it's actually healthy to have an argument in a relationship, they say. So the reality is this. When you say, yes, I disagreed on something with her, that is coercive control. You are labelled as an abuser. So effectively, that allegation can mean they could plant literally anything on you. So what happens is when they go to these shelters, so they give them the full blue, blueprint, threat to life, financial abuse, coercive control. So they build up this whole blueprint, which then, yes, so they build up this blueprint, they call the police. So within, say, uh, the day you end the relationship, you're possibly arrested that evening or the following day, historic allegations of abuse. You might spend 24 hours in the cell and they release you the following day because nine out of 10 times there's no evidence because it's just made up, right, yeah? It's made up literally on the spot. And sometimes these allegations are like, five years ago, he nearly killed me. They're like, well, why did you sit on the allegation for five years? Why did you bring the allegation out the day you ended the relationship or he ended the relationship? So there's a whole game behind it. After that, what they have in England here is called, once they've done that, so once they call the police, they've got the blueprint, they have now secured what you call legal aid. So the government will pay for their case. So they've now secured a legal aid. So the legal aid lawyers now, they give them even a few more ideas. They teach them all the legal mechanisms that they're gonna use against the ex-husband. So they say, with the allegations, you've secured the children, you've secured the property. Now we have to keep the ex away now, yeah? So what they do is they apply for a non-molestation order, which is known in America as like a restraining order. Yeah, a TPR, yeah, T-R-O-R-O. -O. Yeah, so here it's a non-mol order, yeah? So they apply for a non-mol without the husband even going to court or anything, or anything ex parte, so a judge just dishes it out. Now they hand them out like sweets here. There's no evidence required. It's just hand them out like sweets, literally. And normally what they say is the, the father has two weeks to go back to court and present his case and, you know, disprove his allegations. Nine out of ten times, the judge, judge just stamps it off for a year, six months to a year. Father is thrown out onto the fringes of society, expected to just be homeless overnight, not see his kids. He's going through emotional trauma. If the missus ended the relationship, he's going through that heartbreak. He has, he's very uncertain. He doesn't know when he's going to see his children. He's walking in the streets. He's effectively sleeping in his vehicle or sofa surfing. Now, during this period, the court now, there are so many delays in this system and there's so many hurdles and barriers placed. And even if you try and make contact with her to see the children, the police seem to have enough resources to come and take father away at any time. As soon as mom says, I feel threatened, you might send her a text and say, can I see the kids this weekend, yeah? She no. makes one phone call, they will come and get you. It's, they, there seems to be this madness around it that no one can understand. 
Now, what happens then is father's now automatically disqualified from the children's life. He's walking around with this stress, trauma, and this anxiety. He's in a constant state of flight, fight, or freeze, yeah? They keep you on that roller coaster. Yeah. What happens after that straight away normally is child maintenance services get hold of you and say, right, he's, all, he's still paying the bills. He's just about holding on to his job. Child maintenance services, again, another absolute organized scandal. They then chase you and say, right, we want this percentage at your salary calculated pre-tax. The only organization that calculate your salary pre-tax. How is this even possible? I, I, I do not know. They do that, so they take a chunk out of that. He's paying all the bills. He's left with potentially no money to rehouse himself or anything. He doesn't get anything from the government because he owns a house. He's probably paying for the house that the ex is now living in. And effectively, you are disqualified out of society. And because of that, 10 men a day here in England, studies have now shown, done a lot of research, a lot of people doing a lot of research, 10 men a day, post-separation every single day self-deleting yeah and out of that a thousand men a year are self suicide potentially uh, because of the child maintenance services alone because they harass you and hound you put false arrears on you and absolutely destroy you so then when you end up here you sit and think this delusion that you had of law and order and processes right and then you realize this is the society we live in. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, the family court machine has turned against you. So you've got the legal aid lawyers against you, the women's aid groups that are supporting so-called mum against you. Nine out of 10 times, all the school mums that you used to see along with your ex, they turn on you straight away. The school mums club, they turn on you straight yeah, you away. Be, you become the pariah of society. Absolutely, absolutely. This is exactly how you are treated. And then what happens is Kafkas, these social workers that work for the court, they are nine out of 10 cases. All the fathers I've spoken to, they're nine out of 10 times biased against father. When you're in the courts, your own solicitors, barristers are there to fleece you. The judges on two grand a piece, they're all in on it. Now, I've studied this. I've sat there and thought about this in depth here. Because like, let's say my kids now, they're less than a mile up the road. I haven't seen 14 months, not one phone, nothing, yeah? Absolutely nothing, right, yeah? And you still sit and wonder, how is it that I, all these hurdles and barriers, why can't I see my kids? So if you look at the family court system, as I said, the, the architects of that whole system, I believe they have studied human psychology, human <laughs> behavior in depth. It has to be they've studied in depth. See, the red pill studies have only come about, they say, in the last 10 years, right, yeah? I think the family court has studied the red pill, the blue pill, and the green pill for many, many decades. Because they've somehow looked at, they know how the women, the the innate female behavior, very emotional, impulsive, how they will behave. So what they've done, they've incentivized it, they pandered to it, and they have supported them financially through through legal aid yeah they know how men will react in order to want to be it's a primal human instinct and urge to want to be with your children oh absolutely so father exactly so think about this just hold on to that chain of thought for a minute yeah that's a primal urge it's a very natural feeling it is very innate to any living creature so they've studied that and thought okay we're not in any imminent danger so we're not 
in any threat of violence. The kids are, because you understand, you're not with your child, you've got that anxiety, fight, flight, freeze, yeah? You're in that emotional state, you die to protect your child effectively. Your child is in, in some, it's not in direct physical danger, but the emotional and mental damage your child is taking, you know your child is in danger. So you're, you've got that emotion, you're all over the place. They know that you're going to think, well, it's not in any physical danger, but if I just go to this system here, pay $1,000, $2,000, go on this course, they want me to go on another 3000 contacts and it's only $100 an hour. They keep you on that little thing where you think, okay, if I just do this little bit, I'll see my child. Yeah. I'll pay this little bit, I'll see my child. So for every dollar or pound they give the mother in legal aid, where the legal aid lawyers, they don't give to mother, they give to the legal aid lawyer. Every pound or dollar they give that legal aid lawyer, they're getting, I reckon, $3 back from you, mm -hmm. $4 back from you. Yep. It is a perfect system, right, to capitalize on basic human primal behavior. Now, they must have studied this. They oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's been going. And then the other thing is, how do you keep this scam? It's the best scam in the world, right? This is your best scam in the world. You pay to see your child's God-given right to be with both parents. You, you are being fleeced for that primal feeling for your child, yeah? So they've designed this whole system around this, this basic, they've generated money out of a human emotion, yeah? And what they've done is, how do you keep the scam going? So within law, when they give these non-molestation orders and court orders, it says on there, if you tell anyone about it or talk about it, guess what? That's breach of court order, you'll be locked up. So they somehow created a system that keeps going, stays hush-hush, it destroys you emotionally, mentally, and takes any fight out of you, and they, can, and they carry on pandering to this, the, the wild allegations that require no evidence, based on a balance of probability they'll find you guilty. And in the meantime, that gives the resident parent a clear run unfortunately, to alienate and damage that child. I mean, that's the system in a nutshell. And the fact is, I am 41 years old, yeah? I was born and raised in England. And until I entered the system March the 16th, 2022, I, had, I, I knew the system was biased, but you never understood the madness of how mad it is. Do you yeah. see what I'm saying? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and now that I'm in it, I have seen this oppression and look, no one can any, look, I'm Muslim, right? I'm a, from a Muslim background, yeah? Now, people from any background, as in any religion, you get taught good and evil. You uh -huh. hear these things. But I can never honestly say to you that I've seen evil in my life. I can't say to you I genuinely have seen evil. And then I've entered the family court system. I can say to you, I have seen evil. I have now seen pure evil in its purest form. Yeah. Family court system, Kafkas, the child maintenance services and the architects of this system and the people who keep this system going. And also to add, add to this, right, the studies um, that I've done as well now, there's a lady in England called Sister Sally, which has done in-depth study into all of this as to how it's come about, where, how did men get here? I've done an interview with her, it's on my channel, it's all there. Now she said in 2010, they created the UN Women, UN Women and Girls, and in 2011, it was written into the Istanbul Convention, the protection of women and girls globally. Now, what she said is to, perp to present 
women and girls as victims to the world, you need a perpetrator. Who is the perpetrator? That's us. Exactly. Yeah, that is us. So what's happened now is that convention is so powerful, people don't realize it's been written into globally into how many countries? Like, like best part of the globe. It's been written into yeah. all the Western countries 100%. So when I say it's written into the law, it's written into the law, the family court system, corporations, into every fabric of society. It's written in everywhere. Hence, when you go to court, right, yeah, if even if your wife was the, your ex was the perpetrator and abused you, the judges, you know, like judges have a, they have a list of how far they can go with mm -hmm. their belief. And yeah. The backstop is mum is the victim regardless. So even in court here, for example, let's say, Let's say I have 10 allegations placed against me, against me for argument's sake, going from rape to abusing my own children to all sorts, right? So imagine I now disprove with evidence nine and a half allegations, but I have half an allegation of that coercive control again, yeah? The judge will just ignore the nine and a half allegations that I've just disproved, right? We're talking rape, all sorts of horrible stuff here. He'll only look at that half an allegation of, what was it, uh, coercive control and say, well, looking at that, Mr. Ishmael, you are guilty on that. So, you know, I have to take it on that one. So do you see the imbalance <laughs> in the system? Because the backstop oh, yeah. is mum is victim, period. That mm -hmm. is his backstop. It is woven into society. Yeah. And it is. It, I now see the full dangers of all of this. And there's a category, unfortunately, the war of the sexes has been completely woven into government and politics that's what's happened and now it's playing out in society and you see these two these children are suffering it's the children that are suffering and in another 15 20 years we'll see the full effects now because it's infiltrated all communities now cross culture cross religion cross communities is a categoric gender war and it is a war on men and boys oh, yeah. categorically. No, no absolutely. You know, and the, the crazy thing is, because I've been saying that very same thing, you know, for the last almost decade, that there is an absolute war on men, specifically fathers. Yes. And it, it saddens me, but at the same time, it blows me away to the fact that how many people are just absolutely fucking blind to this they will That's, sit there and tell you straight face no there's no such thing i'm like really so i so yesterday on on instagram yana harding yeah, i don't know if you've seen any of her posts yeah, good yeah yeah yana. good good friend so she tagged me in one of the things she was going back and forth with this woman and this woman was straight up saying you know men are not treated unfairly in the family court system that is a lie that is a lie propagated by men that were not good enough to be fathers. Oh, dude, I, I lost my shit on her. And for the next five hours, it went back and forth. And I brought up the fact that, look, you know, it's been reported up to 22 men per day killed themselves as a direct result of the family court. She sat there and told me that, no, it has nothing to do with the family court. These are toxic men that were too weak to handle themselves. And that is her belief. And I went through and I told her my story, you know, point for point, how I got to where I am now. And she came across, what she said was, well, you know, you just, you weren't a good father. That's what it was. 
I was like, are you, are you kidding? Are you serious? I said, tell me you're not a feminist without telling me you're not one. Mm. Because I said, you know, everything you're espousing right now is third wave feminist. Yeah. That is the view that you are pushing. So don't sit there and tell me that this shit doesn't happen to men mm. because it happens around the world. And yes, I, I have ran into so many women that have that viewpoint. They have just this little echo chamber where they listen to society and they bought into this aspect that women are victims and men are the yeah. perpetrators. Yes, but the thing is, it goes back to this, Alan. This is what I'm saying. They have been made to believe they are victims. Mm -hmm. If you keep, if you keep telling a lie, eventually. That's the truth. It's the truth. They, yeah. they have promoted this in order for that convention to pass. As I go back to the Istanbul Convention and the UN Convention for Women. In order for that to stand automatically, it leverages for that convention to exist, right? Yeah. The knock on effect of that is a direct oppression onto men's rights. It cannot exist yeah. without that. So, unless you have a UN men now to counterbalance it, it will directly put pressure on society on one of the sexes which happen mm -hmm. to be men yep. and when they keep promoting you're going to say look it's happening in all the western countries all the western countries they're pushing this they're pushing this agenda this victimhood they are pushing this victimhood and now there's a general consensus amongst those that believe yes that they are victims hence there's this in england they would have this saying that they kept coming out with the the the, the, fem, the radical sort of feminist that all women are to believe no matter what. They are to be believed no matter what. Yep. what Me too movement over here. What happened to common sense? What happened to the truth? That doesn't pay. That doesn't pay. That doesn't pay the money. Because that's the other part of this victimhood mentality that we're talking about. They have figured out that victimhood is a very, very financially rewarding career. And so many of these women, at least over here in the U.S., have gone down that path where they've created themselves a niche business based off of their perceived perceived victimhood and everybody buys into it you know the courts and the government just pay them money hand over fist and it's ridiculous it, it blows me, me away let me yeah. ask you a question because there's something that i still don't fully understand right yeah so let's say America. America is a big country, a big, mm -hmm. very powerful country, big economy, right? Yeah, but most powerful country in the world, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, what does the government? Because look, this is only happening because it's backed by the government, the yep. courts. It's all part of the family court machine, the government, and the media that are pushing the narrative, and the media that are pushing the ideology out there. Yeah, you can understand the media control a lot of the mm -hmm. thinking. The average yep. person is controlled by what they see and read eventually even if they don't read it when you keep seeing the same thing over and over again it imprints onto your brain psychological yeah, yeah. exactly so tell me this by destroying societies families the nuclear family what what does the government hope to achieve or get out of this in the long term or by destroying men like for example i was i am an electrician still i am an engineer i was a very good engineer i was good at what i did but because of the nature of the job, high voltage switching, generator, mm -hmm. generators, and all that sort of stuff, and all of this going on, you could you could end up effectively killing yourself and other people around you. So I had to give up work. Yeah, 
Now you've taken a functional human being, a tax-paying individual in the higher tax bracket, paying into the system, a good worker, basically. Government needs workers. They mm -hmm. need these slaves, right? Yeah, I was a good slave. I did my work. They gave me overtime, so I did it, man. I was a good slave. And what have they achieved by me now no longer paying into anything? No system. They've lost a workman. Now, when you destroy the family home, and, and obviously we know all the stats that what they say about children brought up in single mother homes specifically, mm -hmm. it, it's not good for anyone. It doesn't nope. help society. It's a disaster. So by the government, and we know, look, there is a conspiracy where the government are behind it, the family court machine are behind it. They are destroying families. What do you think their overall agenda is or what do they hope to get out of this? So here's kind of what I think is going on. And this is kind of a theory of mine that's been slowly evolving over the decade that I've been doing this because like you, I'm a natural researcher with this kind of stuff. You know, when I was going through this and I experienced this firsthand, I represented myself. I had a lawyer that didn't do shit. I fired the lawyers, get the fuck out of here. I will represent myself. I taught myself family law in two different states to be able to represent myself and ultimately win full custody of my son, which I did. But in the process, you know, that took me down a lot of different little rabbit holes mm. in this. And ultimately, I think what we are coming to, we are coming to the premises where the government, be it my government, your government, a worldwide government, the UN, they are slowly and systematically removing men in every facet of daily life to the point where you know, most of these men, they're going to be a shell of who they were. I mean, and this also buttons into the pride thing that we have going on. It's pride month. Mm. You know, the whole transsexual movement, all that stuff buttoned in because you're taking away men. Okay. Mm. What do men do? Men are the ones who ultimately fight back to the government, to tyrannical government action. You remove them out of the picture. You put them all in prison, whatever the case may be, you have complete control. I think that is kind of the end game. And I know a lot of people are going to hear that and go, what the fuck is he talking about? That's some, you know, conspiracy theory shit. Well, it's not. It's, it's not. not. I'll go one further. Listen, I, I'm not going to lie to you, right? As you open up about conspiracies, yeah? When you're on this journey, you go through this roller coaster, you don't see your kids, you're trying to make sense of the society that you thought you were living in was a good society. And you question not just society and the laws, but humanity. You think, what have we become when this is what we're doing to kids and, and effectively fathers? And when I say fathers, tomorrow there'll be our sons going through this, unfortunately. Yep. Will they survive it? Who knows? Hence, I've sat there and I've thought about this whole gender war globally, all of this, as you've said. And men, like I said, when they're going through the system. So this is why I said, look, they're saying in England now, yeah, 200 children lose contact with their fathers a day, yeah? To do the numbers there, multiply that seven days a week, multiply that 365 days a year for the past 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. How has there not been a riot or a pro-black? I don't understand. How has yeah. I can't remember the last mass protest. Let's call it protest. I don't I don't even know when it's never been one. In yeah. England, it, it's never made it that far. So what they've done is when you're going through the system. They demasculate you to the point where you have no fight left in you. When you take someone's child away, you've removed a part of them. A, you know, a very big part of them is gone. When you demasculate them, so when you destroy them financially, emotionally, mentally, what, these men are going to fight? Yeah. They're not. They're not going to fight. 
That is you the know? only way I can see they have reduced them to a shell of themselves that they can't fight. Yeah. And then the other thing, like, while I'm going through all of this now, right, so I've been thinking and I thought, it, it sounds crazy, don't get people are going to think this guy's wacko, yeah? But it's like, I could see uh, one night I had a dream, yeah? I saw this dystopian future. It was like a real dystopian future where women were in charge, government, mm -hmm. politics, full power positions were all women. Soon as men, men were workers, they were slaves. They were all in orange suits. They were just working head down. They're workers, building sites, trade. they're tagged, they're tagged and they're workers. And there's all these trans people who are security. They're all the security in charge. They gave them a little bit of power. And then as babies are born, they're labeled, yeah, male, take him over there. Girl, over here. Male, to the work, you know, to the um, factory. He's going to grow up to be a worker. Yeah, male, over there. And like, I've got this vision. If it carries on like this, that's the only vision I can see now. It's completely ludicrous, yeah? But when you're going through this and you think, this is, this is all in law right now. What's going mm -hmm. on? Hiding in plain sight. So what is to say in another 20, 30 years that it's scary to see if we don't stand up to this now and expose this now and challenge this now for our children, I am scared for them. I'm scared for the future. I'm scared for my nephews, my little nephews and stuff. I'm scared for my little one. Yeah. Long way to go, but it's a scary future, man. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely agree with you. I've had this conversation. My son just turned 13 last month and i've had this conversation with him many times he's well aware of what i do he's been on the podcast many many times with me as i interview fathers he has a very deep understanding of the situation and i don't hold back from him the reality of what the world is and the reality of what he is going to face when he becomes an adult and eventually if he decides to have kids and i say if he decides because you know the way shit is going it's scary it's 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 freaking scary and he has a grasp of this kind of thing and um you know going back to what you were saying about these guys being you know basically slaves that don't want to rock the boat one of the things i've tried to do many many times is i've tried to organize marches you know because like you said over here there's been no protests we got a few protests here and there that they don't amount to anything. I'm talking like a nationwide protest, you know, like the 2 million woman March kind of thing, yeah. you know, and, and I've tried so hard to get it going here. And one of the things I've discovered is fathers are great about vocalizing the situations that they're dealing with, vocalizing their experiences, but fathers are piss poor when it comes to actual action. And I understand why I get it. You know, if you got this guy over here that is working three jobs, just to basically keep a roof over his head and he gets every other weekend with his kids mm -hmm. and he's got this ex that is holding everything over his head. Fuck yeah. He don't want to rock the boat because as soon as he rocks the boat, mm -hmm. that visitation that he's got is gone. And that yes. is why so many fathers are antithetical to actually doing something because they don't want to lose what little bit that they have. This is it. Island. They've got you in. This is what I'm saying. They have locked you. This is what I'm saying. They've taken everything away. Mm -hmm. Then this is how you control someone. You give them a little bit here and there. Give them a little bait here and there. Keep him going. What I'm saying is keep it. The sacrifice is made. The damage is done. Yeah. I'm not that guy. I don't need it. The sacrifice is done. The damage is done. 
this will go till the end and as far as it needs to go. Because the fact is, look, not everyone's the same. Not everyone, what I've realised is everyone handles it very differently. Yep. Some are so locked into that hamster wheel and the system, into the matrix, so to, so to speak. They don't know any different. They're institutionalised. I just said, forget work, forget this, forget that. I can survive. I can sofa surf, live in my vine. I can get by however. But this ain't going away. I have no... I've, look, there is... When someone has taken your child, our children have been state-sponsored abduction, mm -hmm. effectively. Absolutely. Well, am I, how am I going to move on? When people say, move on with your life, get move on and live your life. What life? My kids are gone. They've taken my children, man. What do you want me to do? Yeah. So for me... I am okay. I'm not even upset. I'm not angry. I'm not burning an emotional fuel. I can continue this all day, every day, for as long as it takes. And just so you know, Alan, um, over here in England, so for all the people that are watching in England, July the 5th, there is a march, a pro, uh, march going into Parliament, challenging the child maintenance services for the illegal practices that they conduct and the deaths they are causing amongst men. So there's a march here, July the 5th, we're trying to ramp up support. The organization that's organized it is this one here. Split the difference. Sister Sally has arranged all of it, all the legality. Send me, send me the stuff that you've got for that, and I will absolutely yeah, push be. it out. Yeah, man. And we're going to push it. We're trying to get numbers behind it. Because like you said, the father's movement, right? There are a lot of groups. The thing is this, Alan. Mm -hmm. Even in America, there must be hundreds, thousands of thousands. fathers. So regardless of the fact that the individuals are broken, they are part of a group, right, yeah? Mm -hmm. So you've got, say, 15,000 followers on Instagram, yeah? Yep. If you arrange a march, let's say at least 1,000 from just your group should show up. 1,000 from someone else's group. The key is this, and the problem here in England is this, what I've noticed, yeah? And you understand, if I'm noticing this, it must be bad, right? Mm -hmm. Father's movement is fractured, because what happens is, the cause, the the, um, the organization start for the cause. Yeah. As the cause builds and it gets momentum, it becomes an organization, then a brand, and then it becomes more about the brand than the cause. There, and there there's Lives. another part of it too. Yeah. <laughs> so before I started Fathers Lives Matter in my state, which is Montana, I was the liaison for what was at the time the preeminent father's rights group the father's rights movement it was the first national movement for father's rights so i was i was the guy from montana so i got to see the inside workings of this place and the more i watched the more disgusted i came by it the problem was they started letting women into positions of power high up inside and that just started making everything fucking crumble on down it was it was like it was cancer it was rotting it from the inside out and i just i was watching this and i was just like dude i was just like this is not what it's supposed to be about this is not you know this is not what it's about because you would have these women that were in these positions of power within these groups that made decisions for the rest of the group and they weren't decisions going for fathers. I mean, if you look at their mission statements, their mission statement was specifically for fathers. It changed real quickly from fathers to parents, yes. to active co-parents. And the whole father's rights thing was pushed out the door. And I said, fuck this. I'm done.
not going to do this. Right. We've got a group here, right, in England, yeah? One specific group, right, very big. This group gets 300,000, I don't know, £300,000 a year or a month, I'm not sure, from the government yet to sponsor this group. Now, this group effectively is known, it's a father's group, but it's sponsored by Women's Aid. <laughs> what do you think is going on there? What talk do you about, think yeah, talk about a wolf in sheep's fucking clothing. That's what's going on. And the father's movement, the problem is, look, you got to be blunt about this now, yeah? So yep. there's all this division. There's one group slagging off the other group there. Listen, I keep saying all the father's groups need to unite because with the women's aid here, you've got the mothership, women's aid. Then you've got all the little subsidiary organizations and charities under them. They all feed into the mothership. Mothership lobbies government. Very united, very organized. You've got to give it to them. They're organized. Very tight. Very tight. Yeah. Father's group. One group slagging the other off. They're all competing against each other. It's become about the group rather than the cause and the children. Until all the groups, and I urge again, all father's groups across the US, Europe, England, Australia, all father's groups need to unite. We are at effectively war. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. the reason we're losing is 80% of the fathers don't actually know about it. It's, a ma it's not a war, it's a massacre. We're yep. getting massacred. It's not even yep. a war. 80% don't even know about it. This is the problem. Mm -hmm. And until the groups unite, like in America now, Montana, if all of the fathers, let, let me tell you this, say this right. So let's say this right here. Yeah? If 10,000 fathers went up now, to say Montana, where the local government area is there, sat down on the street saying, oh, we ain't moving. What could they do? Nothing. Just think, of, <laughs> just think about that. Just think about that one thought right there. We're not about to do 10,000 men went up there, sat down on the road outside of parliament. We're not moving until there is reform in Children's Act and Children's Law. What could happen? Yeah. I don't understand why that's so difficult. 10,000 men, no effect. You've lost your child. Are you going to sit by and roll over when your child has been taken? This is the legacy that you're going to leave in this world. When, you, when me and you move on, your money, your house, none of this means anything other than that son that you're going to leave behind. He's your legacy. Yeah. He's what you're going to leave behind. He's the most valuable asset you will have in your lifetime. If that has been taken, what are we waiting for? Yeah. What do people nope, want? I agree. Why are people worried about their careers and jobs? None of this shit matters. Yeah. Until the fathers unite, all fathers group, I urge everyone to pull together and unite and stand together. It has to happen. If it does not happen, tomorrow our children, our sons will be going through this. We don't know if they're going to have the resilience to get through this system. Honestly, it's getting worse. Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, with the way legislation is and the way legislation is passing through it is absolutely going to get worse we have a senator josh hawley he's a u.s senator of arkansas i believe he wants to up the the child support he does not believe fathers are paying enough in child support he wants to raise that and child support here is outrageous i mean when you're paying over a thousand dollars fifteen hundred dollars a month for one child you're finished you're done you're, you're upside down you're 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 screwed. You're living yeah. on the streets. That's you living yep. on the street. If effective, you're done. But this is what I'm saying. What What are they hoping to get out of this? If you, this, if all of these men uh, have become 
effectively disqualified because of the system, they will effectively be a burden on the state. Yeah. If these if good working men are being destroyed like this, how long can this continue? We're meant, this is meant to be a democracy. We look at other countries and say they're like this and they're backwards. This is going on under our nose. Yeah. I, I, I cannot understand what is to be gained out of this. And effectively, if no one stands up to, if there's no resistance, these laws will continue. Currently in England now, right, yeah, the child maintenance services, again, they have a lot of power. They're an independent contractor. It's not a government body. The government have contracted this out to an independent company to collect child maintenance, yeah? That company, I'm not sure how many million, they make millions a year in profit. But if this is money for the children, how are they making these millions? It's take <laughs> from one parent, give to the other. How are they making profit in millions? Yeah. They've made millions <laughs> money over children. How? Profiting yeah. of children. Yeah. How is that possible? And that child support agency now, before they used to have to take you in front of a judge in a courtroom to revoke your passport license and stuff like that. Now they're passing a bill through government, which, which, which is what we're trying to lobby against on July the 5th. They've snuck it in through parliament now, which is more than likely going to get stamped off. So this contractor, this company, it's a private company, will have the authority to revoke your passport and license. Yeah. How can any company have that much power? How can a corporation, independent corporation, have that much power over a citizen? Yep. But, I mean, they do that already here. You know, once yeah. you get to a certain point with child support, they take away your driver's license, they take away your CDL, your business license, your hunting fishing license. They take everything away, and the final stop for your ass is prison. That's the final stop. And the child support doesn't stop. If I get incarcerated tomorrow for failure to pay child support, that child support that I pay every month, that shit doesn't stop. It sits there and build, builds up. It builds up and it builds up with interest on top of it. So let's say I do a five-year stint in prison for child support. When I get out, I, I'm you know hundreds of thousands of dollars in arrears that I will never catch up on, ever. You know and I mean? it doesn't go away. You're, it's modern day slavery. Oh, it is. It's racketeering. Yeah. It's fucking racketeering is what it is. Yeah, but you, you have effectively been made a slave for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. They've got yep. you. Yep. It's, dead, it's debtor's prison all over again. I don't know how. I, I, this, this is what I'm saying. There's, there's so many affected by it. This is why I'm shocked that the level of exposure that should be there is not there. Well, this sort of amount of misery, this amount of misery and pain, the children lost to the system, and I think the information has not read the lid on it is not fully blown. Oh, it's not. And no, and one thing I will tell you over here in the U.S., politicians, news news agencies, reporters. They don't want to touch anything that has to do with father's rights. They will not touch it with a 10-foot fucking pole. Nope. They will shy away from it because they don't want they don't want to expose any of this stuff. Same they, here in England, but this is yeah. same, the same blueprint. It's the yeah. exact same. The politicians here of Sevilla, the study some of the one of the big father's groups here did was, and what he said on a lot of his videos was, what it turns out, what politicians were saying to him and what the politicians said is no one will touch this. Number one, mm -hmm. what they said is men are pretty tribal in their voting pattern. So they will stick to who they're with, yeah? Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Because single mothers are have got the swing vote, as as it were known in America. It'd be, it'd be known as a swing vote. So the politicians will appease to that swing vote because that will determine who wins, who loses. So they're not going to touch it with mm-hmm. a passport, like you said. They don't yeah. want to touch it. And there is, seems to be this, this whole the whole government and the laws, like I said, are very. I was on the Just Pearly Things uh, interview here when she was in England. I was on the Just Pearly Things podcast. And as she said here, the government, the police, the family, it's all very pro-blue pro pill, pill, as she called it. So the whole system is designed around that. And the element of the swing vote, the government's not going to risk it. And in, in government, effectively, not just the government, even in our own communities, our, our sort of religious leaders and stuff like that, they're very reluctant to touch this subject. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're, I don't know what it is. Yep. Well, that's you know, it's, it's, powerful. that's how powerful that whole, the feminist element to all of this, mm-hmm. the radical feminism that's coming out, it is, um, like I said, they're very powerful. They are a very powerful force. They've got a lot, and they're in, like I said, they're in positions of power now globally. Oh, yeah, they've infiltrated everything. Yes, every department, globally, corporations, and they're very powerful. And they've done it, like I said, it's all, it's done subtle. Yeah. So it's, it's being played out in society now, but you could go through potentially so much of your life and not realize this is happening. It's under your nose. I mean, I can tell you, before I went through my whole experience, I had no idea any of this shit existed. You know, I was very blind, very naive to the reality of it. Even when I went to my first court appearance, you know, I walked through those courtroom doors into the courtroom thinking, I'm a good dad. You know, I'm a manager at UPS. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't smoke. You know, I do everything above board like I'm mm. supposed to be. I'm going into the justice system. Yeah. Lady Liberty or Lady Justice is blind. <laughs> Fuck that. Yeah. Dude, I got hammered. I got hammered just by the fact that I was a father who wanted to be in his child's life. Mm. I got fucking hammered. And then all these other things started happening. And it, it was a very rude awakening for me. And I talked to so many fathers over the course of doing this that experience the same thing. You go in with one perception of how shit is and you just get books with it and it's not the reality. How long ago was this when you when you entered it? How long ago was this? Uh, 2015. So seven, eight years ago. And eight you years. know when you, okay, so you know when you first entered that court, mm-hmm. again, you came out, you went home that day or, or took a taxi home what was your thoughts and feelings like in that moment? Because obviously you, you, you're missing your kid. Dude, you, know I, you know that role of culture. Yeah. So how did you deal with that? How did you pull yourself together and think, wow, like, is this... Well, really, how, how did you deal with it? <laughs> I sat out in the parking lot of the, of the courthouse and cried mm. like a baby for an hour, mm. you know, because I had just been fucking destroyed. I had to go home and tell my son, mm. look, mom is going to be here to pick you up tomorrow mm. you know and at the time we lived two thousand miles away so wow. it's not like it's yeah. not like i could just go hey you know i'll see you next weekend i didn't know when i was going to see my son again mm. you know it almost brings me back to tears now reliving that but i was fucking destroyed you know yeah. after crying for an hour in the parking lot i had to go to his school 
and I had to explain to his school what was going on. And I had to explain to everybody else what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I had to tell him. Mm. I had to tell him what was going to happen. And, you know, he was five years old at the time. Yes. You know, and he didn't understand. All he knew is, you know, I, I got to leave my dad. You know, and it, to make matters worse, my worthless ass attorney at the time, because I fired her, she turned around and called my son's mom's attorney and said, well, you know, I think Mr. Donovan is mentally unstable. I really, I really think there's going to be danger. So that morning, you know, the next morning I get a call from the police department asking me if I'm mentally stable, if I'm okay. And they're going to have an officer there at the handoff because somebody was afraid something was going to happen. And I was just like, Oh my God, this nightmare is just getting bigger and bigger and fucking bigger. And You know, when I got there, sure enough, there was the police and he came out and, you know, we did the little handoff and, you know, I'm crying like a baby Mm. this whole time trying to keep it together for my son so he doesn't see Mm. what's happening and how emotionally wrecked I am. And the cop goes, man, brother, I'm so sorry. He goes, from the minute you pulled up and got out of your car, I knew you weren't going to do anything, but I Mm. still had to be here. And I understood and I thanked him. I said, you know, well, you know, thank you for being here because even though your job was to protect them, you're also protecting me by making it so that they can't say, well, he did this or he said that or blah, blah, blah. Mm. You know, and, and after that, you know, as soon as my son got down there with his mom, all the bullshit started. Mm. All the parental alienation started. Phone calls, texts, nothing. And it was that way, you know, for the next couple of years, as I worked through everything and taught myself family law and did what I had to do mm. to the point where I was able to walk into that courtroom and walk out 20 minutes later with full custody of my son. Mm-hmm. And it fucking destroyed me. But you, this process you know, destroyed me. You know those two years, yeah? Because one thing I've realized, when you're going through that year, you truly feel that you're alone. Yeah. Like, you're alone in this world. There's, there's no one there. People can, you can, look, it's not people's fault. They can't understand. If, they, if you've not lost a child, you can't understand. You, you can't feel this you feel truly alone and you know when you go to bed at night you're laying there you're wondering if you're gonna see him, mm-hmm. when you're gonna see him, if you're gonna see him. how did you get through those two years <laughs> how did you every night because people don't realize is every hour every second every minute that that bereavement can hit you any time of the day you could be okay one minute yeah. thinking, i'm gonna be all right this is good Next minute, it feels like the end yeah. of the world again. You're going up, you're going down. You don't know where you're at. People don't yep. have no idea what it takes to survive. Like I said, I personally, I think if you can survive those first eight months, eight to nine months, after that, you might survive the long haul. Yep. But that, those, those eight months are so painstaking. They're so brutal. I think it takes it takes a hell of a lot, and I say to fathers out there, look, you're gonna meet, you're gonna hit these moments of darkness, the depths mm-hmm. of darkness. This is the lowest point of your life. Yeah. If you're at rock bottom now, the thing is, this, to do something to to think about suicide, that's for yourself. Yeah. You have to put your children first. You have to think of your child, put your child at the forefront, and continue for your child. And if you're thinking like that already. Why not put up your best fight, then go down fighting rather than go down like this? Yeah. Don't go down like this. 
to all fathers, you can do it. Dig deep. You become the superhero for your child and yourself. And you can do this. Believe you can win. Alan's done it. No. I'm going to do it. We're going to win. And we're going to put this out there. We're going to expose this whole system and scam. And we're going to change the world for our kids and the generations to come up. God no. willing. Absolutely. You know, and you're asking how I got through it. It was tough, man. Those, those first couple of months, it, it was a real adjustment period because, you know, I, I discovered so much of my image, my own self image was in my son. And when they took him away, it took who I was away. And I didn't know who the fuck I was at that point because I had been so focused on being a father and being everything I could for him mm. that when it was just me, I was lost. Mm. I was lost. Mm for the first couple months where I slowly had to start forcing myself to rediscover who I was, you know, and there was times, like you said, where I would be having a great day and then just all of a sudden bereavement hits you. Yeah. The, the grief would hit me. And then it was the guilt. The guilt would hit me because then I would start thinking maybe if I would have done this, maybe if I would have done that, I wouldn't be in this position. And it, it was just this constant roller coaster up and down. One of the things I did, that I pass along to fathers that was a very in instrumental thing for me at the time was I started an email for him, for my son. And I, I created him an email account and every day I would get up and I would write him an email. Um, and sometimes it would be, you know, Xander, I love you. I miss you so much. And that was it. And other times it would be lengthy, a couple paragraphs. And then there was times where it was like a couple pages where I would talk about everything that I was dealing with. And I use that as a springboard to get all these built up emotions out of my system to a, a different place, like a sandbox. Like if you're familiar with computers. Yeah. Express yeah. that emotion. You have to, yeah. Express it in a safe space mm. where it can just sit there and ruminate or whatever the case may be. And I did that consistently mm. with the goal of when he turned 18, giving him that and saying, okay, here you go. Here is you know, all these years of my mind, my heart, my thought, my soul of what's mm -hmm. going on. So I, that was a huge help. So yeah. I did that. And then I found photography. I really buried myself in photography where I would go out to the woods where I had no cell phone service mm. and I would just shoot photography. And I did a lot of crazy stuff at the time. I would go up into, we have a national park that's like 30 miles from me. Mm -hmm. It's called Glacier National Park. I would go up into this park and I would find myself up there hiking in the middle of the night, mm. you know, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., hiking because I had to hike. I had to be physically active mm. to escape the demons that were yeah. running up behind me because of this yeah. shit. You're managing those demons daily. That's the thing. Yes. Yes. And, and, and that is, that is how I survived in it. Finally, about the six month mark, it leveled off because I had a concrete plan mm -hmm. as to what I needed to do going forward, how I was going to approach mm -hmm. this. And then it, it got to the point where that concrete plan, you know, consumed me. You know, I would go to work. I would be at UPS working until, you know, sometimes 11, 12 o'clock at night. I would come home and I would start studying case law, mm -hmm. family court case law. And I would do that until three four o'clock in the morning when i fell asleep and then i would sleep until 10 or 11 get up and do it all again and that's what my life became was focusing on the fight to get him back and understanding 
what I needed to do and learning everything that I needed to do to be able to effectively represent myself when the time came be. And when that time came, I rolled into family court. All right, guys, I am so sorry about that. Instagram loves to cut you off right in the middle of you know, a very impassioned speech. So I'm going to get Ismail back in here and we are going to finish this. All right, brother. Welcome back. Sorry about that. Instagram used to tell you that you were coming up against the edge, but they just cut it off. Um, but what I was saying, you know, when I got to the family court down there, you know, the, the judge looked at me and he goes, Mr. Donovan, have you ever been here before? I said, no, never been here before. He goes, hmm. Asked me, he goes, do you know anybody down here? I said, well, you know, I, I know my son and his mom and her parents, but other than that, I don't know anybody. He goes, so you traveled here by yourself to represent yourself for your son? I said, yes, I did. He goes, that is truly impressive. He goes, you know, I've been doing this for a lot of years. And he goes, you are the most prepared father I have ever seen walk through those doors. You know, and he granted me 50-50 custody that day after going through the whole experience. And then a couple years later, I was right back in his courtroom and he addressed me by name. He remembered who I was. Right. I, and, it, you know, he's, he told me it was great to see me back there in court. Obviously, I, I didn't think it was so great to be back in court. But I was there for 20 minutes and I walked out with full custody of my son. So you're 20 minutes. A success story, really. You've got the blueprint then. Yeah. You've effectively got the blueprint. You beat the system. Yep. And yeah, it, that's quite inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it, it was a lot of work. I lost a lot of friends. I had a lot of family members. My own father, my own father told me I was crazy. My own father told me that I should just roll over and accept what they were offering. Because at the time, before I went to court the first time, they were offering me one week a year, one week week a year not even a month one oh, week God. and and that would have been taken two days of that would have been taken up by travel time because it's two thousand miles away you know one full day is travel and he told me he goes well you know i i just really think that you should accept what they're offering and i was just like really you want me to just roll over and accept what they're offering i said do you realize if i do this you're gonna get to see your grandson for maybe a day once a year year once a year and well you know i just don't want you to you know get overconfident i said you know what i said you're my father you're supposed to be supporting me and you're completely not supporting me i said whatever and i went down there and i came back you know having 50 50 custody and you know he was amazed you know and sadly he passed away before he got to see me go down there and win and come back with my son he didn't get to see that, but you know, it, he was a prime example of people telling me that I was crazy for doing what I was doing, especially crazy for doing it without an attorney. They thought I was, I was stupid. I had a lot of people tell me, you know, dude, this is stupid. What are you doing? You know, and my response was, you know what? I'm the best person to represent my son's rights and my rights, because there's not a single person out there that's going to fight harder for us than mm -hmm. I'm going to do. The thing is, this Alan though is there's a lesson in life there. Yeah, you know we keep getting told in life, don't listen to the naysayers, the negatrons. They're everywhere. Mm -hmm. People will tell you all of this, and they will make you believe it. When people, when people keep saying this to you, there's a risk that it imprints in your brain. That's why they say negativity is dangerous. Yep. The naysayers, 
I think if you go from a position, first and foremost, is you believe. You have to believe. Yeah. In order to change your reality, you need to believe it first. Hmm? If you don't believe it yourself, the next step you're going to take, it will determine what step you take. If yeah. you don't believe it yourself, that next step will not be closer to achieving yeah. anything. Hence, you have to believe it first. Yeah. Then you control those demons. You have to get those demons under control. Channel and harness that energy productively as you did. Yeah. And I think you can win. You can beat the system. You take all that love, that rage, that anger, the hate, the resentment, the pain. It is very powerful. You can use all of it. You divert it and channel it in the right way. Put the work in. Know that you tried your best. Put yep. your best foot forward and give it everything. Yep. I believe Absolutely. I believe you cannot lose if you and like if I'm working on this for example 24 hours a day seven days a week on autopilot effectively how can I lose man that's working on something 24 7 with every breath and every beat 24 hours you cannot be you cannot be beaten and for yeah. these yeah for these I will keep going there's nothing there's no greater purpose so when people say you can't win except what you got, that's the first problem right there. You've conceded half your brain. Mm -hmm. Do not allow those going through this, I'll say this, do not allow people to get in there. As long as you stay strong there, do not allow anyone to get in there. Yeah. You've got to be strong. You've got to be really strong to survive this because a lot of people, they listen to these ideas, they give up, they're heartbroken, they concede to it, they give up, and at the end of it, 10 15 years later those kids they've never known that, that that relationship that bond if you miss out on that childhood you gonna understand even if your children come at 18 19 20 it's not the same yeah that bond is formed throughout that childhood from the ages of like from a baby to say the early teenage years is when you jump around you cuddle you from around you horse play you wrestle with the boys all of that sort of stuff that is what forms that bond if you miss those moments, they come back later on in life, it's not going to be the same. Yes, they are victims. You be, you be there for them the best you can. But that childhood is a time that can never come back. It's a, childhood is a very short time. It can never come back. So you have to give it your best and everything you have for your child, like you did, Alan. And yours is effectively a success story. Yeah. Others should look at your story, look at your blueprint, once I've succeeded and I've won and I beat this whole system, I've turned it on his head, I'm going to write out the blueprint and I'm making videos around the blueprint, how to do it, depending on what position you are. Because there's three aspects to this now, yeah? This whole situation, there's three aspects. There's those that are on the end of the system now where separated, the false allegations have been placed, they've lost contact, they've made homeless, they're, they're fighting for their life's work, their children, all of it. There's those that are in relationships, but they are prisoners in their own relationship because they know they're going to lose their kids and their life's work and their house and everything. So they put their head down, they nod along, and they, they take whatever role they're given in their children's life because they're in the relationship. And there's those youngsters who are going to be entering relationships and starting families. They need to know how to best protect themselves, protect your assets, because remember this, the laws the laws in society is what governs societal behavior it's the laws yeah. that govern behavior it is set in law that 
if you get married in America, it's the worst place to get married. <laughs> As a man, you will lose potentially your life's work yeah. and everything. Hence, you need to, we need to now educate young men to leverage themselves better, put themselves in a better position. If you've got a little bit more leverage in the relationship, there's more chance that the relationship will last. If the backstop in the relationship is, remember this, two people in a relationship, boy and a girl, the yeah. father's backstop will always be, I better tread carefully because at the end, if it all goes wrong, I'll lose the kids, lose the home, lose my job, homeless, CMS hound me for life, it's not worth living, I better toll the party line, that's the word. <laughs> Misses, no problem, if he doesn't toll the party line and this all goes wrong, doesn't really matter because I'll get the house, I'll get the kids and he'll pay me for the rest of his life, so things won't be that bad regardless, so how much do I need to try in this relationship? So remember that, those, those behaviours have been determined by the law. Because of the law, humans behave a certain way. That is set in law. It is being played out in relationships, unfortunately, in society. So once we educate these youngsters to better leverage their position, in America, you've got, what do you call it, the prenups. Prenuptials, yep. You've got prenuptials in America. So those who have assets, get your prenups sorted out. Do not fall for all of this. Do not fall for the whole, um, you know, you're married for life. Unfortunately, there are very few couples that unfortunately are married or together for life it's just yeah it doesn't very, exist anymore <laughs> it doesn't exist and it's affecting all communities my community was known for marriage family nuclear family up until the last 10 years it's been infiltrated into our community women are initiating divorce across cross communities across the western countries women are initiating divorce so prepare yourself protect yourself leverage your assets and when you're in a relationship i say to you take time out spend time with your kids mm -hmm. do the school drop-offs strengthen that bond do not think well all right i'm providing because the other problem is this alan right yeah this is where a lot of guys have lost that especially like down here yeah so they've got a family they're doing the, the traditional manly thing i'm going to work i'm doing overtime i'm doing extra shifts because i'm providing for my family i'm providing security for my kids it's a good thing but he's lost out on that time with the children. So imagine this, you're in a 10-year marriage now, yeah? You've lost all of those moments, those pickups, drop-offs, the school assemblies and plays and the bedtimes and all these little moments that seem like nothing at the time. They seem like nothing, yeah? You've missed out on all of that because you thought, well, it doesn't matter, I'm providing. I'm doing my job, I'm doing my bit, I'm providing security. Then when it ends, the ex, she's had all that time with the kids, yeah she's enjoyed that that's a pleasure she's enjoyed all that time with the kids she's gone off with the kids and all your life's work the 10 years of graft and the hours and the sacrifice you made she's gone off with that as well so you've lost on all fronts yeah. so you we have to educate the youngsters don't get so lost in your role that you forget the most important thing it's your legacy is that time with that child won't come back so there's three parts to this so eventually in time I'm going to make a whole series on each part and how to navigate through each section of this to try and get the content more organized. But it's coming. It's coming. And hopefully once I get my, my place sorted out or proper accommodation and a studio and whatnot, get all my sponsors sorted out, have a proper studio, we're going to do some proper work and get this information out there going forward. So that's well, it's, it's It's definitely well needed. Absolutely. And we're coming down to the end of this for 
tell yes. everybody where they can find you because I do have a lot of followers that are in the UK. Oh, great. Yeah. So my channel is Disqualified Dads. I'm on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. All the podcasts and interviews are on YouTube because you can do the long form videos on there. Disqualified underscore dads. That's where you can find us. Watch out. Look out for this symbol here. You can't miss it. That's who we are. YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, but podcasts all on YouTube. That's awesome. You know, and I, I want to thank you for everything that you're doing over there. And I know you're, you're knee deep in the battle right now. And, you know, it's tough, but, you know, you know how to get a hold of me. You yeah, know, I, so please don't sure. ever hesitate to reach out to me, you know, because that's, that's one of the biggest things that I do aside from the podcast and, you know, the legal aspect of everything. But it's being a shoulder for you guys that are still in the battle. I'm not in the battle anymore. You know, my fighting is done, but I want to be here for you guys. You know, so any anytime you need to anytime you need to reach out to me, please do not hesitate. And I would love to have you back on the show. You know, as many times as you want to come on, I will make a spot for you. Perfect. I'll be coming on. Alan, you'll see a lot more of me, man. It's good talking to you. And thank you for everything you're doing and everything you've done. Like I said, yours is a success story and it's inspiring. So thank you for everything I have. I appreciate it. Absolutely, brother. Go get some sleep. Yeah. (laughs) I know it's early there if you can. <laughs> Alan, take care, mate. It was an honor. Thank you very take much. Take care, brother. We'll talk again soon. All right, guys. So that was Farouk from Disqualified Dads. Uh, great conversation with him. Um, I learned a lot about uh, the UK court system. You know, when it's it's kind of crazy. The US court system is actually modeled off of the UK court system, so there is a lot of similarities between the two of them. So, uh, you know, it was always great to hear more information about that great guy. You know, I'm sorry to see that he is in the battle, but, you know, he's got a good solid game plan and he knows where he's going. So I see nothing but success for him. So that is going to wrap up the show for tonight. I will be back first thing in the morning at 10 a.m. for another episode of The Father's Truth. I have Riz from the UK again. He was actually supposed to be on tonight, but uh, we got our, our wires crossed with communication with the time difference over there in the UK. So we reschedule it for in the morning. So I hope to see everybody there. And if you can't make it, have a great weekend. Stay safe. All right, everybody. I'm Alan Donovan. You've been listening to The Father's Truth. Take care. Thank you for joining us and listening to The Father's Truth. If you would like to be a guest or know someone with a story that needs to be heard, email Alan Donovan now at thefatherstruth at sohomail.com.